Hi, I'm Paul Lisnick, and this is the WGN-TV Political Report. Coming up. This, this was uh, unacceptable. Caucus chaos continues how Iowa is still stealing the spotlight as the candidates look ahead to New Hampshire. Plus... The stakes could not be higher. And to be frank, we're behind in Illinois. The crucial count that could affect money and power across the state. A closer look at the 2020 census. And later, new life for a bill at the heart of a statehouse bribery scheme. We're talking to outspoken Republican lawmaker David McSweeney. We begin today with the struggles inside the Cook County health system. It makes up nearly half of the county's overall $6.2 billion budget. Last year, the program eliminated hundreds of vacant jobs in order to help fill a budget gap. And two months ago, the CEO's contract was not renewed after five years on the job. Now, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle wants more power over one of the largest public health networks in the nation. The story was first reported on by WBEZ. Adding to the chaos, this year the system says they expect to provide nearly $600 million in care that won't be reimbursed. Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle joining me in our WGN studios for this week's interview. Madam President, good to see you as always. Good to see you, Paul. So let's start with the health care system. You have said that a desire for more control is about communication, accountability, and transparency. Does that come at a cost of independence of the system? No, of course not. But let me begin by saying I'm very proud of our health care system. For 180 years, we've provided care to whoever comes of our door, regardless of their race, their gender, their tribe, their sexual orientation, or of course their ability to pay. So I'm very proud of that fact. What we've proposed are some minor adjustments to the enabling ordinance, and I should say that those adjustments are sponsored by the Chairman of Finance, John Daly, Larry Sufferden, who wrote the initial legislation, Dennis Deere, who's the board member who serves on the health care board, and Commissioner Bill Lowry. And when we presented it to the, to the board in January, every member who was in the body signed on as a co-sponsor. The now former CEO of the system, Dr. John J. Shannon, was pushed out last November by the Independent Health Board. It said you influenced that decision. Was that about financial issues? What were the concerns? No, the board of the health and hospital system made that decision. All right, without your influence? They made that decision. All right, let's talk about ethics reform a little bit. You also replaced the ethics board chair, to her surprise. Uh, you asked for a delay in the considering of ethics reform proposals. Is that entity to be independent, and what about that involvement? Well, I think there are three members, and the chair's term expired last June. In May, we were looking at the boards and commissions to which I appoint people, and there are unfortunately dozens of them, and we were thinking, you know, it's hard to keep track of who's actually doing their job and who isn't. So we said we've got to look at this. We proposed elimination of a couple of the boards and commissions. I think we'll do more of that as time goes by. And we also looked at the terms that had expired. And we've been looking since June, July, uh, when her term expired for a new member. And we finally found one, a woman who teaches ethics at Governor State. Let me take you back to the health care system. I mentioned the $600 million uncompensated care problem. Going forward, is our honeymoon with no tax increases at an end in fiscal year 2021? Well, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about the challenge we face around uncompensated care. So we have two hospitals out of 68 hospitals in Cook County, two out of 68. And we provide in our two hospitals, Stroger and Provident, 50% of the charity care that's delivered in Cook County. So our two hospitals, two out of 68, provide 50% of the charity care. We have to work with the other hospitals in Cook County to try to figure out how we can share this burden more equitably because our public system again, is providing $600 million in uncompensated care every year. And that's not, a, that's not a number that we can sustain. 
I can't leave it alone. Should we prepare for increased property taxes going forward, or is it there'd be other ways around it? Well, we're in the process of preparing our budget for 2021. I, I'm not going to predict where we're going to come out. I'm just saying we've got some real challenges. Half of our budget, we have a $6.2 billion budget, $2.8 billion of it, 46%, almost half, is our health care system. So the financial health of our health care system has a tremendous impact on the county's budget. Let's talk about ethics reform in Springfield. A lot of people point to Speaker Madigan, the Democrats, all the mess is coming down. And one question is maybe we're sending the wrong people to Springfield, um, character issues. You are the chair of the Democratic Party in Illinois. Um, should I'm not. That's Michael Madigan. Thank uh, sorry, you. sorry, 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 sorry. You were the, sorry, uh, for the county. That's right. Um, so should there be a focus, mine is speak, should there be a focus on, on the vetting or process that goes in as these people get slated? Well, this isn't about slating. You're talking about ethics issues. When I was elected alderman in 1991, I said I'm going to be a full-time alderman. So since 1991 and for the 19 years that I was alderman and the last 10 that I've been president of the county board, I haven't had any outside employment. And for me, that's always the issue. What's really important is that your constituents know that you're working for them full-time, that when you make decisions, it's on their behalf and not on behalf of your clients. Um, the cannabis uh, has come to Illinois, of course. Uh, the county has recently added on a 3% tax. Add up all the taxes, you're hit about 41%. Um, are we facing what would be the new, new source of this is where all sin taxes will go? You know, you dealt with a soda tax uh, in the past, you got rid of that. Might we be facing similar problems with cannabis going forward? Well, I don't think those taxes are problems. I mean, we tax cigarettes, we tax alcohol, we're taxing marijuana. And our 3% is pretty consistent with the counties around us. I think Kane has a 2.5% tax, but Lake and Will and DuPage all have 3% taxes. The county is forming its own cannabis commission. It's going to address equity issue. Will that conflict with the city's efforts, or are you going to work closely with them? Well, we have... We have control, really, authority over unincorporated Cook. So the question is, what are we going to say about possible dispensaries in unincorporated Cook County? The city, of course, makes its own rules and regulations. Is the county faring better uh, with regard to getting ready for the census as it gets ready to take place in March? Well, I, I, I want to thank Commissioner Stan Moore because uh, three years ago he came and said, you know, the census is coming in 2020, we've got to get ready. So in the budget in 2019, we put in $2 million for our census outreach efforts and another $2 million this year. So we've got some administrative costs, but we'll probably get out into the communities about $3 million to outreach efforts. We, we funded 69 organizations, mainly in the African-American and Latinx communities, because that's where the undercount is greatest. Uh, in the last cycle, and we'll, we'll fund more in the cycle that, uh, that we're about to announce. Um, March 17th primary coming up. What advice do you have for candidates who are running in areas that might be somewhat red in Cook County, given the failed impeachment procedures that just ended? Well, I think it's, it, the national process is interesting. It's hard to know how it's going to impact us here at the local elections. I, I think Nancy Pelosi uh, made every effort, frankly, to delay um, the impeachment process because she was fearful, as I am, that it wasn't really going to be helpful to, to Democrats. Uh, but I think finally her caucus said the president's behavior is so egregious that we have to take action. I think the acquittal in the Senate was a foregone conclusion. Uh, but apparently the members of the House and, and our delegation believe that it was important for us to hold the president accountable for his conduct. All right. Cook County Board President Tony Breckwell, with my thanks for your time. As thanks, always. Paul. Always. All right. We're going to take our first break. Coming up next... We're looking at um, uh, $1,400 per year per person um, that we stand to lose if we don't get people counted. Federal funding, a seat in Congress, and the state's reputation all at stake. We're talking about the 2020 census when we come back.
Hey, welcome back to WGN TV Political Report. It's no secret that the state of Illinois has been shrinking. Year after year, we've seen population decline for one reason or another. Well, now as the federal government gears up for the 2020 census, local officials are trying to make sure each and every person still here is accounted for. The nationwide count happens every 10 years. That's mandated by the U.S. Constitution. The results determine everything from political power, how many congressional seats each state gets in Congress, how those districts are drawn, to the amount of money doled out by the federal government. Illinois officials are pumping more than $30 million total into spreading the word, but with just over a month until things kick off, there's still plenty of questions on how it's going to work. Joining me now for today's Closer Look. Marilyn Sanders is the Chicago Regional Director of the U.S. Census Bureau, and Anita Banerjee leads census outreach at Forefront, working with nonprofits across the state. Lady, thanks for being with me. Ms. Sanders, let me just start with you. I want to get some of the nuts and bolts out. We've been talking about census for a long time. When does it actually get going? How long does it go on? How do we get to answer? So the census starts to mail out the invite on March 12th. Every household will receive an opportunity to participate in the census. And for the first time this decade, you will be able to participate in the census online, by phone, or if you receive a questionnaire in the mail. We will conduct the mail back of the information either uh, and the telephone uh, calls that will come in and the online receipts until about mid-May. Mid-May, we will hire uh, staff to go door-to-door -door for those who did not respond by phone or by mail or by mailing the questionnaire. Uh, is it our choice and how we respond? I can go online if I want to, or does the survey sort of dictate how I need to do it? Everyone will have an opportunity to participate. In the invitation that they will receive, they can go online. They can call in. In some of the more rural areas of the country, we will deliver a questionnaire to those households and they can mail that questionnaire back. All right, Anita, look, a lot of groups have been tasked with getting the word out and spreading it out. There was quite the delay in funding for a long time. Only a few of the nine or so regional entities even had their money. Um, apparently that's been resolved, but the question is, is it too late? Fill us in. I don't believe it's too late. I think every little effort to help for a fair and accurate count makes a difference. Uh, we've had organizations on the ground since spring of last year. So we, this has been a really concerted effort. And there are organizations not just in the Chicago region, but all across the central and southern part of our state that are in it together. All right. And Marilyn, there are hard to count populations, homeless people, um, renters, students who are away at school. How do you reach those groups? So we use trusted voices to help us to reach those groups. Uh, working with Anita and her staff, working with the state of Illinois, working with the mayor, we are identifying now those low responding areas, areas where we rec recognize that we will get uh, lower counts. And we're working with those communities, utilizing trusted voices to get the message clear that the census is safe, it, it is important, and more than that, there are $675 billion distributed each year based on census data. So I thought, you know, a, a lot of these things would be real, real simple. Like, for example, a kid away at college, I thought, well, no, they'd probably be counted in their permanent home. And you've taught me the lesson going, no, they're counted at college. Well, how do we know these rules? How does, a, you know, somebody at college know where they're getting counted? So we have an um, outreach campaign. And that outreach campaign helps us to inform individuals of how to be counted. 
college students are counted at the university where they're staying. The census reference day is April 1st, 2020, and we will count everyone where they are residing on April 1st, 2020. But our outreach campaign helps to inform the public on how and where to be counted. Anita, as you work with different groups to get the word out, look, it's, it's no secret that a lot of groups are afraid, uh, illegals, whatever, that ICE is going to be at their door. They're going to get this information. Do they need to have that fear? Well, certainly we can't ask people how to feel but we can ask people to think about why they should get counted, and the reasons are numerous, right? First and foremost, our congressional representation, the federal dollars that come into a state that is perennially broke, and if we want to incentivize for people to stay in Illinois, we need for them to be counted. So we really ask for people to think long and hard in filling out that form. Uh, Marilyn, in 1948, Illinois had 25 congressional seats. Now we have 18. Doesn't look like we're going to even keep at that number moving forward. It is important for us to message and get the trusted voices again to make certain that we count everyone. That is our mission, to make certain that we fulfill the constitutional mandate to make certain that everyone is counted. Of course, representation is dependent on the count, but there are so many other opportunities in making certain that you get a complete count. For example, Pell Grants, there are daycares that need to be built. Businesses need this information to be informed. Uh, it is definitely with the support of all of the individuals that are working alongside us in the county, with the city, and with other groups that we can message that everyone counts, it's important, and it's safe. Anita, the, the governor's put, we'll call $30 million into this process. Um, was that enough? Does that let these groups like you do what you need to do? I think it's a great effort forward for a state like Illinois where we've had outward migration for the last five years alone. This is an incredible step. The first step that we've had in Illinois' history for a fair and accurate count. Um, Marilyn, the impact of people not answering surveys or just thinking their, their vote doesn't count, so to speak, by filling it out, how does that affect us financially in the state? So in the state, for every person that's not counted, it could mean thousands of dollars that don't come back for roads, for schools, and for those needed things in the community. So every person's voice count, everyone counts. Um, Anita, the, to get people out, your organization, you do a lot of events and things coming up. There is one I want to talk about yes. because it's coming up during the week. So tell us about that. Yes, this is a great effort uh, to bring city the city of Chicago, Cook County, the state of Illinois, and all of the various grantees at Forefront's um, organization has funded to come together in a joint effort um, to collaborate, convene, talk about best practices, and share challenges so that we can all work together for Illinois to have a fair and accurate count this spring. All right, Marilyn Sanders, Anita Banerjee, thank you so much for the work you're doing. I wish us all luck in a successful census. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And coming up, it, it's a very stubborn problem we seem to have here in Illinois. From the courthouse to statehouse, how a former lawmaker's guilty plea has brought a possible ban on red light cameras back to life. You won't want to miss it.
At the Illinois State House, there's new life for a bill that could ban controversial red light cameras in Illinois. A House committee unanimously passed the plan on Wednesday. Now, that same proposal was actually blocked five years back by former state senator Martin Sandoval. He has now pleaded guilty to accepting at least $70,000 in bribes to work in the interest of red light camera company SafeSpeed. Democrats eager to distance themselves from the latest scandal in Springfield, but there may be another partisan roadblock ahead. Republican State Representative from Barrington Hills, David McSweeney, sponsor of one of those bills. He joins me now in our WGN studios. So good to see you, Representative. Thanks for having me on, Paul. So red light cameras are designed to be banned in your bill in non-home rule municipalities. That's correct. So first of all, that would include some Chicago suburbs, but not Chicago and places maybe like Oak Brook. So how does that impact? So I believe the red light cameras are all about raising revenue, not improving safety. I want to ban all red light cameras. In fact, I have a bill that would do that. But the bill that I was able to get on the House floor after I passed out a committee would start a non-home rule units of government. That's generally communities with less than 25,000 people. There would be 45 out of the 102 uh, municipalities that have red light cameras. It would be a good start. It would ban these corrupt red light cameras. And this is the same bill that I passed in 2015, as you pointed out, that Martin Sandoval, who obviously now is uh, spending a lot of time at the federal courthouse, actually tried to kill. And is, he did kill that, it. He did, it's the exact same bill. Exact. Is that the reason you brought it back now, because no. of that scandal? No, I've had it every year. I, I was elected in 2012. I filed it starting in 2013. It's changed a little bit. But this is the same bill that passed in 2015. I would love to run a bill that would ban all red light cameras, including the city of Chicago. This is targeted toward low-income uh, people that hurts them, these red light cameras. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a scam, and it's all about a get-rich scheme for these camera companies. I'm, it's not about safety. I'm sure you know that Senator Maddie Hunter is doing the same act in the Senate. Do, do you get a sense that this is about maybe let's not give the Republican the win here and we're going to take it? And, and do you even care as I long don't as care. it passes? I, I'm all about good public policy, so I support Senator Hunter's bill. I hope she passes out of the Senate. I'll uh, obviously uh, run it in the House if she'll let me. And Emil Jones, uh, Senator, has pre-filed for my bill. So this has bipartisan support. I just want to get rid of these cameras. These are corrupt uh, programs that are hurting low-income people in this state. This is all a scam. This is meant to try to get people's money. This is not meant to improve safety. So let's assuming you're right that is, it certainly is about the revenue. I think most would admit it's about the revenue. Then do we put the municipalities back in the situation of saying, well, I guess now I've got to raise taxes. We've got to, because now that's lost revenue for better, for worse. Is that not no, a new problem? It means they need to cut spending. They never should have relied on this uh, phony program, uh, this scam uh, for revenue in the first place. They need to absolutely uh, cut uh, their tax rates uh, in this state, and they actually need to make up for that by uh, also cutting spending. So I believe any loss of revenue, they need to cut spending. And on top of that, they should cut their property tax rates. People are being driven out of this state. Taxes are too high in Illinois. Uh, this is just a real quick, this is just a lot of people who hate red light cameras also hate speed cameras. Are you good with speed cameras or is that next? Uh, I believe speed cameras uh, should only be near schools. Uh, and I uh, hope to take that up uh, at some point. This is my last term in the House, so this red light camera bill is my main focus, but I do believe there's value for speed cameras in school areas, but okay. nowhere else. All right, I want to turn to ethics reform for a little bit. Um, you are moving out of the House and doing some other things, maybe less risk in pursuing some things. A lot of uh, focus on the legislature, Mike Madigan, but let me ask you, uh, you and Leader Durkin don't necessarily get along on all directions things should take. What can happen in the world of ethics reform in Springfield? So what I believe needs to happen is, first of all, uh, no member should be lobbying anybody uh, and actually right now 
it's insane that you have members who are allowed to lobby local government. You also need to have enhanced the financial disclosure so everybody knows what's going on. And third, and this is most important in my uh, view in the short run, there's a cover-up in Springfield right now. That's where my issue with Leader uh, Durkin is. There's nothing personal. It has to do with the fact that I have been uh, a whistleblower in calling for uh, the public disclosure of the member uh, that the uh, Inspector General determined committed wrongdoing, and it's being hidden. Julie Porter testified yesterday and said that she knows about wrongdoing, an existing member. And the leaders in uh, both parties uh, have uh, stopped my efforts to make that uh, public. So nothing personal with Dirk. Okay. And, uh, he's been around too long, but my effort uh, here is focused on transparency and uh, getting this information out. Uh, it's no secret you are leaving your position. You're likely to run for state office in the future. I follow you on Instagram. So many people do, but there's an awful lot of number of pictures of you at Mar-a-Lago, uh, whatever. So that brings along some, you know, uh, images with it in terms of uh, your relationship with President Trump, whatever. What, what do you want people to know about, about that as you move on to a state role? So a couple things. One, uh, my main focus, obviously, had lower taxes, less spending. Uh, I did uh, attend uh, a lunch uh, at Mar-a-Lago on de December 25th, and it was great. So so I believe we have a great economy uh, right now. So my uh, view is that uh, if the president focuses on this good economy, focuses on his foreign policy achievements, that he can get reelected. All right, Representative David McSweeney, thank you for your time. I appreciate you, sir. And coming up next, all eyes turn to New Hampshire. What to expect from the nation's first primary after caucus night fell flat in Iowa. Six days after the Iowa caucuses, the real winner remains unclear. Campaigns have until noon tomorrow to request a recount. With 100% of the results in, Pete Buttigieg holds a razor-thin lead over Bernie Sanders, and nearly everyone except for maybe Joe Biden is spinning the otherwise disastrous night as a campaign victory. So what does it mean going forward? First stop, New Hampshire. This week is the first in the nation primary, and the results could tell us where Democrats are headed. Is it all about beating Donald Trump in November, or will voters push the party towards the left? All we do know, the results could put the final nail in the coffin of more than one struggling candidate. Next week, Interim Police Superintendent Charlie Beck. Plus, we're catching up with Cook County Assessor Fritz Kagey. Have a great day.